Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, a military investigation sidelines the major general overseeing Canada's vaccine rollout. Why has there been a level of secrecy around what's going on with Danny Forte? We're, we're getting drips and drabs of answers and speculation. But there's been this very uneven treatment of these allegations, depending on which senior officer is involved. And I think that's, for a lot of Canadians, that's I think it's gone from disappointment to to anger to it's almost sad in a lot of ways. Canada expects to see many more people vaccinated in the coming weeks. Next week, Canada will receive a total of 3.4 million Pfizer doses. And Quebec's premier says he has the power to change Canada's constitution in his fight to protect the French language. The objective is clear. We want to make sure that in the future, we still speak French, especially in Montreal. So uh, right now, when you look at the figures, uh, we're not going in the right direction. It's Monday, May 17th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. So, over the weekend, we learned that Danny Fortin, who is a major general, was stepping aside uh, from his role heading up the, the vaccine program in Canada. And it's yet another case of somebody in the senior ranks of the Canadian Armed Forces who has been sidelined because of allegations uh, against him. Uh, and, and the question has to come, I think, at this point, and I'm sure there will be lots of people asking this question of the government today, how widespread is this issue in the senior ranks of the Canadian military? Yeah, not just how widespread, uh, but why is there this sort of, why has there been a level of secrecy around what's going on with Danny Forte? We're, We're getting dribs and drabs of answers and speculation, but there's been this very uneven treatment of these allegations depending on which senior officer is involved and i think that's for a lot of canadians that's it, it's i think it's gone from disappointment to to anger to it's almost sad in a lot of ways mark that that, that every you know and there's almost a week doesn't go by now that some senior canadian officer isn't uh, you know drummed out of the job or transferred or moved or called on the carpet for uh, allegations of some, you know, some type and lots of speculation about what this involves. But um, I think a lot of Canadians have questions about the level of secret secrecy here about, okay, you get a terse sort of short statement saying, you know, Danny Fortain's out uh, as the lead on the vaccine, but, you know, there's no uh, clear indication uh, officially why. I think Canadians will want to know, okay, look, we, we know things in the military are bad, but you know, we're, we're we're getting conditioned now to senior officers, uh, you know, getting into trouble. Like, tell us what's going on here. What's this? You know, what's it all about with Danny Forte and who's taking over from Danny Forte and what's the plan? So, this gap that's happened uh, over the weekend about information makes I think a lot of people wonder. You know, if we're not naming an immediate and didn't name at the time an immediate. A successor to Danny Forte who would take over this file. And I think everybody's pretty confident that there's always a second in command for a major military operation uh, like this in terms of rolling a vaccine uh, to the country. Uh, so that part, I think, will be taken care of. But it makes you wonder, are, are they going through the ranks to try and find somebody who can take over this job who doesn't have skeletons in the closet? And I think yeah. that's worrisome to a lot of Canadians. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, more broadly on the issue of vaccines in the country, uh, the the rollout continues. This is going to be another big week with with lots of doses arriving. There were comments on the weekend from one of the people from the AstraZeneca uh, manufacturer saying that the decisions that have been made by some jurisdictions in Canada, including Ontario, to put put the AstraZeneca vaccine on hold for first doses will cost people lives. Um, and uh, and so th- there is this ongoing debate about the exact implementation, uh, the exact details of the implementation, but uh, we are going to see a lot more people vaccinated in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, with or without AstraZeneca. Yeah. You know, there's you know millions of doses coming into the country now from uh, Pfizer. It'll be ramped up uh, by Moderna as well. A little less certainty around the Moderna doses. But there's a feeling, I think, for a lot of Canadians that a corner is being turned here. And, and you know, the, the pivot point here is what does it mean? I think, you know, notwithstanding the questions around AstraZeneca, and, and I think over the next couple of weeks we'll get more detailed guidance about uh, the AstraZeneca and second doses and provinces holding it back for first doses uh, and only, you know, talking about giving it to people as a second dose. And, you know, in the next few weeks uh, or less, we will find out uh, with clinical trials and research about the mixing of vaccines. And uh, we already know that uh, a British study has suggested you can mix Pfizer with AstraZeneca and you get a little, uh, a little more uncomfortable side effects. But we're still waiting to find out whether it's just as effective or more effective, less effective. That will happen in the next little while. So I think a lot of those AstraZeneca questions will be settled by science, uh, which I think a lot of Canadians thinks the way think it's the way it should be. So we'll we'll get some of those answers. But we are just with Pfizer and Moderna rolling out more and more vaccine. But you know, I think the big question for people, Mark, is what's it going to mean? Uh, you know, we. We had last week, and this is a a lesson, I think, that maybe we can see the government pick up is the prime minister last week talked about a one dose summer. Then the next day, the uh, head of the public health agency, Theresa Tam, uh, talked about more specifics of what a summer might look like uh, in terms of opening up. 75% of Canadians need to be vaccinated with a first shot. 20% need to have had a second shot. And then we can start talking about easing some of those uh, public health restrictions that we've seen in so many provinces. The problem, you know, so the prime minister talked about a one dose summer, but didn't really sort of define what it means. And then the, the head of the public health agency did define what it might mean. And it makes you wonder again, Canadians, you know, have to go searching for the information. They have to sort of hear what was said over the week to figure out what it's going to mean for their summer. And it makes you wonder why there isn't just, wasn't what, just one big news. Every time there's something major to announce on what the next sort of threshold might mean for Canadians or what, what Canadians, Canadians are expected to do to try and hit that threshold makes you wonder why they just don't have one news conference, one singular focus. Everybody can sort of uh, be told at that time, this is what we expect of you to get to this. This is what it's going to take. And then nobody's left wondering, well, if somebody said this, somebody else said that, somebody else questioned this. So there's still work to be done on the communications front. Now, obviously, uh, everything about the vaccination program is about the health of Canadians and the response to the pandemic and and getting to a point where we are all safe. But it does tie in a little bit to speculation from a political point of view about the potential timing of the next federal election. And Yves-François Blanchette, the Bloc Québécois leader, was talking on the weekend about how, I mean, he had some specific dates in mind that we could even see 
if a lot of people get vaccinated between now and the middle of August, a campaign that begins in August and ends sometime in September. What do you think about all of that? Yeah, August 16th. He's got a date. Yeah. You know, he's looking at, the, you know, he's, he's doing a calculation that involves municipal elections and, and so on and how, how it would be uh, unseemly for a federal election to uh, Bigfoot uh, municipal elections in uh, in Quebec. And so he's saying, you know, if the government, if the vaccines are going well, this is the time they could go. Uh, we're going to hear so much of this in the next uh, number of weeks, Mario. This, this is not going to stop until we actually get an election call. Right. And it's, but everybody agrees it's all hinging on the level of vaccination and uh, where we are in a third or, you know, a, God forbid, a fourth wave of COVID-19, how well we're managing it as a country, I, I think, before uh, we see a, a prime minister willing to pull the plug and, and go to the people unless there's something between now and then that uh, causes a lack of confidence in the minority government and an election is forced upon uh, the liberal minority. But uh, so, yeah, we're going to hear lots of speculation over the next couple of months about precise timing. I, I, I think but everybody agrees that, uh, you know, coming up on two years in, in the in the fall of a minority government, you know, the average sort of shelf life, we've seen some longer, some shorter. But that would be the time when uh, a lot of people, a lot of experts believe that the prime minister might find an openness in the public or a an acceptance in the public to be able to say, look, we, we've got a big pandemic post-recovery plan we want to put before Canadians. We've already uh, given it to you in our last budget, but there's lots more to do, and you're going to have to make a choice here of how we proceed uh, down the road. So we're ready to go to the people. But all of that will have to be when uh, I think the voters have reached a comfort zone where even they start thinking election must be coming soon and they'll be sort of conditioned to be expecting an election call uh, and everything around them will have to feel kind of uh, you know, safer and at least a little more normal than it feels now for them to be okay with a, yeah. with a, with a federal election campaign. All right, finally, let's talk about Quebec Premier François Legault, who has written a letter to the Prime Minister promoting uh, what he is uh, is hoping to, to bring forward as reform to language laws in Quebec. Uh, this includes a potential change to the Constitution, and uh, Legault is arguing that that he has the power to do that effectively. Um, so what do you what do you think about this and how it's bringing kind of language laws back into the debate in Quebec and and presumably beyond Quebec as well? Yeah, I think there's lots to watch here. Uh, you know, we've heard from the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, Dominic LeBlanc, last week saying, you know, it, we want to study it. So it hasn't been a blanket rejection from the federal government. It hasn't been a blanket acceptance. Uh, the Premier of Quebec's doing a lot of outreach to other premiers to say, look, we're, we're, we don't want to reopen the Constitution here. We don't want to cause a, a big hassle. Uh, there is the ability, you know, in terms of the Constitution, provincial powers to be able to say, look, we want to do these things and incorporate them into the Constitution. You know, we, it's good to have everybody on side doing it. This is where we're headed. So I think there's some, you know, time to go yet before we see how this idea might be accepted. But don't expect uh, Francois Legault to drop. And I think the next thing to watch, you know, the federal government's probably waiting to see sort of reaction from other provinces as well. If Quebec says we, we can do this in the Constitution without, you know, we don't want to reopen and cause a big hassle. But if we're going to have a constitutional debate, Watch for other provinces to go and say, well, okay, we want to reopen it too then. If Quebec's going to you know, say they can do this without having to cause the reopening, but if we're going to get down to a constitutional chat, why don't we have it 
full open and here's some things we'd like to see changed about it so I think federal government's sort of in the you know still taking the temperature stage mark to decide where it's going to come down on this yeah all right we'll see where that goes and we'll watch as all the vaccines roll in this week and and more questions uh, are asked about many of the other things we've talked about Peter thank you so much for joining us today always good to talk to you Mark take care that's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In McLean's, Philippe J. Fournier argues the Conservatives have a great big climate problem. Fournier writes, Aaron O'Toole finds himself in climate purgatory. Polling data suggests that if Conservative voters in this country ever embrace serious policies to curb Canada's carbon emissions, they will do so kicking and screaming. But unless O'Toole manages to convince his faithful base of supporters that there is no plausible path to victory without a credible environmental plan, the Conservatives could remain on opposition benches for years to come. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues inflated house prices are widening inequality and inheritances will only further the gap. Sears writes, While much has been written about the housing inequality gap growing, we are on the edges of a much larger compounding threat to social stability, inheritance. Over the next two decades, many younger people will become overnight millionaires. Those without property-owning parents will remain among the poorest. Those who are already stretched to spend far too much on their housing will be pushed further down the ladder by the tsunami of cash passing to friends and colleagues. Unchecked, this will breed serious social conflict. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun considers the right to protest. The Sun writes, This past weekend, tensions flared in cities across Canada as people took to the streets to make their voices heard on the latest conflict in the Middle East. We respect the right to peacefully protest all sides of an issue, whatever that issue may be. This also holds true for the anti-lockdown protests we have seen in recent months. This is a democracy. People have a right to have their say. They have a right to gather in responsible and respectful ways, pandemic or no pandemic. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Parliament may not be sitting this week, but the House of Commons Heritage Committee is. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, the debate over Bill C-10 will be front and centre, with radically opposed specialists appearing before the committee today. Mark, for two hours this afternoon, the committee will hear from specialists who have weighed in and who occupy positions central to the debate over the changes to the Broadcasting Act. Musician and former MP Andrew Cash will be up before the committee. He's the CEO of the Canadian Independent Music Association. His and other artist groups strongly support the bill. The bill's primary purpose is to bring social media giants such, such as Netflix, YouTube and TikTok under the Act it would see them finally contribute to Canadian production funds and observe Canadian content regulations, all of which apply to other traditional broadcasters. But changes in the bill a few weeks ago have raised concerns about the CRTC now delegating responsibility to internet providers to regulate what's called user-generated content. Now, user-generated content could be anything from you and I posting homemade videos to people who post content that's seen by millions of web users and which generates substantial revenue. The government has responded to these concerns over free speech and potential invasion of privacy rights of web users by producing a legal opinion from the Justice Department, which was presented to the committee last week. That opinion says the changes in the law don't constitute a threat to free speech. 
One of the other witnesses, Michael Geist, is a prominent law professor here in Ottawa. He's an internet and e-commerce specialist, and he is a critic and among those who say that the legal opinion doesn't hold any weight and that the bill still represents a real and present danger. On the other side of the debate will be two other witnesses. First, a public and inter- information law professor from Montreal, Pierre Trudel, and then Janet Yale. And she's the chair of the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Review Panel, which helped the government craft the legislation. Both of those witnesses see the legislation as imminently acceptable. So, Mark, it should be a lively debate and a lot of interesting points to watch in the two hours the committee continues to debate the future of the legislation. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak during the closing session of the Global Conference for the Rights and Inclusion of LGBTI plus Youth. He will also be joined by Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan and Employment Minister Carla Qualtro for a virtual announcement on energy efficiency and affordability for the middle class. The Prime Minister will also chair the Cabinet meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend the Cabinet meeting. Justice Minister David Lametti will be joined by Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller and Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations Carolyn Bennett for a funding announcement related to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Minister for Women Mariam Monsef will make an announcement in support of people who are at risk of overdose in Peterborough, Ontario. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan and Employment Minister Carla Qualtro will make a virtual announcement to support energy efficiency in the residential sector. Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie and the Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein will announce support for the growth of talent in the tech and innovation sectors. And Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino will mark the launch of Citizenship Week with a virtual citizenship ceremony. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May the 17th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.